millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast was originally published in 2014. This is the Nature Pastcast, each month raiding Nature's archive and looking at key moments in science. In this show, it's the 1920s, and a fight is on over a fossil that came to change our view of human evolution. Nature, February 7th, 1925. Page 195, Australopithecus africanus, the man-ape of South Africa. The discovery of Australopithecines, as they're called, was crucial for how we view human evolution. This was the beginning of the proof that Charles Darwin was right, that the human line originated in Africa. I'm Chris Stringer and I'm research leader in human origins at the Natural History Museum in London. Well, I've got a replica here of the material that was published in Nature in 1925, this new form of proto-human, as it was claimed at the time, called Australopithecus africanus, the southern ape of Africa. Page 195, Australopithecus africanus, by Professor Raymond A. Dart, University of the Witwatersrand, Johannesburg, South Africa. Raymond Dart was then a young professor of anatomy and in 1924 he was handed um, a couple of boxes of material that had come out of a site called Tong, uh, a place that was being quarried for limestone. In quarrying they were going through caves and in these caves were fossil monkeys and other animals. So Dart got these couple of boxes of what were thought to be fossil monkeys and in there he noticed there was a, a lump of limestone that seemed to be in the shape of a brain. So he thought it was very interesting, and when he looked further, he saw that there was a piece of bone in a block of matrix, in a block of cement, cemented material, that looked like it fitted onto it. A condition of affairs where virtually the whole face and lower jaw, replete with teeth, together with the major portion of the brain pattern, have been preserved, constitutes a specimen of unusual value in fossil anthropoid discovery. It's fascinating to, to hear Dart's account of, of when he first opened the boxes and looked at this material. And it so happened that he got to a critical stage in the preparation of this material when, it, when he was first working on it that he was supposed to be going to a wedding. 
uh, and I think he was best man at the wedding. And uh, he was so excited that he was still working on this fossil and he couldn't let it go. It arrived on the day when uh, the late uh, Dr Christo Bears was being married at our house. Well, I didn't know what these boxes were, but I immediately started undoing them. But while I was busy with these uh, things, uh, my wife told me it's about time I got ready for the wedding. And, uh, you know, it really got to the very last minute, and the guy who was getting married said, for God's sake, you know, I'm going to have to go and find another best man unless you stop messing around with that fossil. I'm Dean Falk, and I'm the Hale G. Smith Professor of Anthropology at Florida State University in Tallahassee. So Raymond Dart published um, the description and analysis of the Tong fossil on February 7, 1925, in Nature. And what he said was that essentially he had a specimen that didn't look like an ape, it didn't look like a human, it had features of both groups and nothing like it had ever been seen before. And although he didn't use the term missing link, in fact, that's what he thought he had. The specimen is of importance because it exhibits an extinct race of apes, intermediate between living anthropoids and man. He also said that this individual had walked on two legs the way we do. And he thought that because of a hole in the bottom of the skull which transmits the spinal cord and it was in a central position in this tongue specimen as it is in living people. This points to the assumption by this fossil group of an attitude appreciably more erect than that of modern anthropoids. It means that a greater reliance was being placed upon the feet as organs of progression. So he thought he had a bipedal man-ape. The world wasn't ready in 1925 for this paper or this discovery. For one thing, fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism, was at an all-time high, so creationists were not uh, ready to accept a, you know, an ancestor that looked somewhat ape-like. Scientists also were not ready to receive this new discovery because they already thought they knew where our ancestors came from. You know, they accepted evolutionary theory, but they thought that our oldest ancestor came from England and that it was represented by something called Piltdown Man. And Piltdown Man was thought to be a kind of British missing link, if you, I don't like using the term, but that's what it was called at the time. And a lot of British experts believed in the Piltdown finds as being a genuine kind of early human ancestor, and it looked nothing like this specimen from Tung. So they preferred Piltdown, and therefore they sidelined this specimen from Tung. The creme de la creme of, of the paleontologists in that day were in London, and they had trained Dart. So they sent Dart, who was younger than them, off to South Africa, and what they didn't expect was that this young whippersnapper would, within two years, uh, find and describe a completely new and different and really important specimen related to human evolution. And so they, uh, although they initially congratulated Dart during the first week after the announcement in February of 1925, very soon after that, the peers, his colleagues in England, 
uh, came down really hard on DART and rejected significance of Tong. They said, no, 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 this is not a missing link. This is not our ancestor. Our ancestor is over here in England. In 1953, Piltdown Man was proven to be this horrible hoax that had gone on since it was announced in 1912. But unfortunately, acceptance of Piltdown definitely held up the acceptance of the tool material and evidence eventually would come through that Dart was right in many of his claims. Raymond Dart was tremendously hurt and upset at the beating he took from the scientists of the day. It, it deeply upset him, and what he did in response was he, he knew that he had to write a much more thorough documentation of the find and its significance. So he worked for four years, from 1925 to 1929, and produced a really, really long book describing the nitty-gritty about Tong and the group it was from. And he submitted it to the Royal Society in England, uh, hoping for publication, and that did not happen. This monograph was rejected, and so it sits in the archives of the University of Witzvatisrand in Johannesburg, South Africa, if you would like to go read it. And it's really criminal, actually, that it's not been published Certainly for at least the next 10 years, uh, Dart had a hard time um, in getting over this viewpoint. But of course in the 1930s, um, more material turned up from various parts of the world that certainly suggested Piltdown was, there was something wrong with Piltdown. It was, it was an oddity. Nothing else was like it. So Piltdown was increasingly sidelined and therefore became less influential in the arguments. But also, people in the 1930s and 40s started to find more material of Australopithecus from other sites in South Africa, and they started to find adult individuals. And that got over the problem of people saying, oh, well, it would have grown up to look like an ape, because these creatures turning up in other South African caves clearly were walking upright. There were not only parts of skulls, but even parts of the hip bones that showed these creatures did indeed walk upright, as Dart had guessed, really. Uh, it was a guess in 1925. Eventually, Dart's find was accepted by the scientific community and is still accepted today. Raymond Dart lived to be 95. He died in 1988. And so he had the pleasure of seeing the field come around and accept the importance of the genus and species he named. And he lived long enough to see the Australopithecines recognized as uh, a stage in human evolution, that they were on the human line. And he developed some wide-ranging theories about the Australopithecines and their role in human evolution. And he wasn't right about everything. So, for example, he believed that these creatures uh, were, were probably hunters, were carnivorous, meat-eating, that they probably lived in the caves and that the bones of the other animals in the caves were actually their prey and they had lived in the caves brought back animals to eat and then these other bones in the caves were the prey of the Australopithecines and we now know that wasn't the the story that 
both those other animals and the Australopithecines were probably preyed on rather than than being predators. There's been work suggesting that the Tung specimen itself might have been the victim of, of, of a, a bird of prey, which actually had seized the head of the child and then dropped it into the Tung site. We know today that our earliest ancestors that walked on two legs emerged in Africa and evolved in Africa. Eventually, they gave rise to another genus, the genus Homo, which is our own genus. And individuals in Homo took over the world. So uh, the discovery of Australopithecines was pivotal for contemporary paleoanthropology. You've been listening to the Nature Pastcast. This month's contributors were archaeologist Chris Stringer of the Natural History Museum in London and paleoanthropologist Dean Falk at Florida State University. The music was Underneath the Monkey Moon by Arthur Collins and Byron Harlan, recorded in 1922 and downloaded from the Free Music Archive. This podcast was produced by me, Kerry Smith. Next month's episode is the last in the Nature Pastcast series. We travel back to the 1930s and the story of a man who chased solar eclipses. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.